Welcome to the Kira Freedom Podcast. My guest this week is Auntie Shukley over Adker. In a rare personal interview, he discusses his childhood, discovering his sexuality, and what motivates him. Tishuk Leo Radker, thank you for joining the Cure Freedom podcast. Apart from being a politician, a doctor, mm. a son, and a friend, how would you best describe yourself? First of all, thanks, uh, thanks for having me on your podcast. Um, how would I describe myself? That's a difficult question. Um, uh, I'm a Dubliner, um, an Irishman, uh, a European, um, somebody who uh, trained as a doctor, comes from a medical family, has a lifelong interest in healthcare and and science um, and then also a politician somebody who believes in politics believes in public service and despite how challenging it can be sometimes and how cynical can people can be sometimes about politics uh, I know that it is the best way to get things done and to make changes for the better and uh, that's me throughout your political career you have been described uh, by some British newspapers as gaff prone mm. what do you think of that description I don't think it's fair. I, I think I think every politician makes gaffes and misspeaks from time to time, mm. um, uh, some more so than others. Um, and I'm definitely more likely to speak my mind and say what I think. Um, and that sometimes uh, might annoy some people or, or it can get me into trouble, but I think other people appreciate the frankness. Take me back to your childhood. What was the Varadkar household like? Okay, so grew up in a semi-D in, in Roselon in Blanchetown-Castanach area, West Dublin. Um, two big sisters. Uh, so I'm the only boy and the youngest child, if that isn't already obvious. Uh, and uh, um, my mum and dad ran a local general practice, really, from our house. It was the old-fashioned um, general practice. I had dad, the local GP. Mum was practice nurse, receptionist, accountant, business manager, pretty much everything. Um, and... Uh, Patients sort of came to our door, and uh, my dad would have seen them in what would have been our converted garage, um, and that was very helpful in many ways politically because, you know, despite the fact that um, I was the brown guy with the funny name, um, we were very well known in the community, and and certainly my dad and mum were very respected, and that would have helped me uh, a lot when I first ran for politics and ran for the council. Um, in terms of values, uh, definitely my parents are people who very much valued education so we were all encouraged to study hard and do well in school um, and uh, I think that that helped us all. Um, probably wasn't a household that was hugely into sport other than my dad's obsession with cricket being an Indian and uh, our music which I kind of regret now because those are things I sort of discovered for myself later in life when I kind of got into sport and music. Um, uh, two big sisters who really did look, look after me and look out for me. Um, uh, that was about it really so pretty kind of uh, normal largely traditional upbringing other than the fact that we lived over the shop and uh, and I think that gave me a good start in life and you know one of the things that I'm prioritising now in my second term as Taoiseach is the whole idea of focusing on child poverty and well-being and we've set up a dedicated unit here in the department to work on that um, and that is partially out of an appreciation that I understand that most people get a very good start in life because their parents have the wherewithal to provide that for them uh, but a lot of children don't mm. and uh, the best time we can intervene is in those early years to eliminate child poverty because no child should experience poverty and also to improve the well-being of children and that's not just for them it's for for everyone in society who benefit 
how do you think your upbringing impacted the person that you are today? You mentioned, I suppose, your two big sisters that looked after you. You also mentioned that, you know, there would have been patients coming in and out mm. of your home. Do you think that has shaped you as a person? Yeah, well, I think definitely a connection to the community is, is one thing. Uh, and then the sort of values around hard work uh, and around the value of education, like all those things definitely shaped me. Um, you know, pe people often like to characterise and pigeonhole politicians and sometimes um, I, I get pigeonholed as, as, um, as being, being kind of posh or whatever, although I don't think of any posher than Mary Lou or Ivana or Holly or any of those, but sometimes that, um, that gets, the, the, that's one of, the, one of the ways you're pigeonholed. But like my upbringing was very much a middle class upbringing and nobody in my family is anything they didn't work hard for or study hard for. And even going back, back to my parents, my parents' parents, you know, my dad from India originally, his, his um, father was a postman, worked in the postal service. My mum's dad uh, was a farmer, a holidayer. You know, it's all been part of our family that there is no sense of entitlement that anything you have, you should be willing to work for, willing to study hard for. Um, and of course, there are people who need help because they, they can't do those things for mm -hmm. some reasons, but that is what should be expected of people. Very briefly, who, who do you think influenced the decisions that you've made in your life? I think mainly the people that have been around me, my, my family, um, uh, my friends, uh, and also the people who've had a chance to, to work with. I'm very lucky to have a very good team around me here uh, in the Department of Taoiseach. People would have, some of them would have started off with me mm -hmm. back in Leinster House um, when we were in opposition. Uh, and maybe the main kind of influence on my life. And of course, then sort of political colleagues, you know, TDs that I've worked with and senators I've worked with for years. You know, there's lots of people I could mention, you know, who might be household names who I look up to, but that's not the same thing. The people actually have influenced me are the ones that I know best and the ones that have been around me. And particularly some close friends who um, have been very much on my side and been able to tell me things that I maybe needed to hear that other people felt they couldn't say. Yeah. And uh, that's important. And in politics, it's different. It's, friendship can be difficult because there's lots of people who uh, sort of want to be your friend and even people who pretend to be your friend. Um, uh, have you found that out? I, I think that's just just that's just the nat nature nature of public life. Um, but what I'm, what I'm sort of really lucky to have is is a group of very close friends, probably none of whom tell anyone that they're friends of mine, <laughs> because um, because they don't want to get dragged into politics or um or, or be you know used as a conduit to get to me or things like that. And yeah. I, I really appreciate having those people. Publicly, uh, you came out as gay in 2015 in a radio interview. But do you recall the moment in your life? where you realised or said to yourself, yeah, I am gay? I, I, there wasn't any kind of one moment, mm -hmm. um, but definitely as a kid, I knew, I knew that I was different. Um, even though I wouldn't have maybe described it in those words, yeah. I, I knew that I was different. You know, I didn't really have girlfriends when I was in school. Um, would have been interested in things that, you know, most of the guys wouldn't have been interested in. Uh, you know, wasn't hugely into football. Um, but would have been into kind of music and things like that. Um, um, and then also, and then also, uh, you know, I, I, I would have known early on that I was probably gay, maybe as young as seven or eight or nine. Okay. Um, but um, certainly, certainly teenage years, but um, uh, I probably kind of thought it'd be just kind of a phase uh, that might pass. Okay. Which probably for a lot of people would feel that way. I think so, yeah. 
and it didn't pass then and did did you find that as a, a difficult journey to come to terms with if you thought that you know it would be a phase that might have passed you know, I, I suppose I did. And, you know, definitely in my 20s, I, I was a very serious person. Um, you know, I was really into politics and uh, was a councillor, very involved in Fine Gael. Um, and then as well, was a junior doctor. So very busy with work. And I know for a lot of people from my age group, it's very different now. For younger people, they, they tend to come out much younger, which is great. Uh, for my age group, we were often in, in our mid-20s or 30s. And... A lot of us say the same thing. We became very committed and interested in career or, or you know, particular other interests. Um, in part because we could sort of convince ourselves that we were too busy for relationships and so on. So like a distraction almost. I think so. Yeah. A lot of people would find telling their parents um, that they're gay a daunting experience. How was that for you, and did it come as a surprise for your parents? Um, yeah, that, that, that was, that's kind of interesting that, because like, you know, there's rough, roughly half the people were waiting wait, wait for you to tell them. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, we know, like, when are you going to tell us? And then the other half are then kind of really surprised. Uh, so um, my dad wasn't surprised at all. Um, my mum was. And mum's being mum's very worried for me. You know, mm. she was she was more worried about how it would impact my political career than I was, quite frankly, because um, she felt I'd worked so hard to get so far and potentially this would be used against me and all the rest of it. And, you know, mums tend to be protective particularly of their sons and uh, she would have thought it was something I should have kept to myself initially anyway not not 48 hours later but that was the kind of initial reaction um, my sister's surprised their husband's not at all um, and then kind of my friends sort of 50 50 I, I, I fell out with nobody over it and you know I didn't lose any friends or anything like that and I had a lot of concerns you know that people would see me differently and treat me differently mm-hmm. and that didn't really happen or to the extent that it did, it didn't really matter. Did you find that it has impacted your political career at all? Like the worry that your mother had? I, 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 don't, I don't know. Like, you know, I've been elected as, as party leader. I've yeah. been elected at all four times now. Um, increased vote on each occasion. Um, I'm serving my second term as Taoiseach. So, you know, whatever <laughs> impact it wasn't, you know, hasn't held me back, I don't think. Yeah. Um, but I, I, do, I do think it does cause people to look at you in a different way. Um, but that's not unique to being gay. You know, you know, women politicians face particular challenges that mm-hmm. men politicians face uh, don't face, and then it'd be the same for, I think, LGBT politicians. Yeah, your relationship with your partner Matt is reported on a lot and features a lot on social media. Does it bother you? Um, I, I, well, one one thing we kind of used to do in the past is, is we would kind of post, you know, pictures yeah. of us on social media doing stuff together. We have kind of stopped doing that. Um, just, just, um, just out of a desire, I suppose, for a degree of uh, certain degree of privacy or whatever. Um, but it doesn't like it doesn't it doesn't usually bother me. Like, uh, like a lot of people get bothered about stuff they see online and social media. Mm-hmm. I, I've kind of managed to largely not concern myself too much about that. I, I know some people, not just politicians, you know, you know, teenagers, young people end up doom scrolling all night. Mm-hmm. I managed to avoid that. It'd be rare, rare, rare enough that I do that, but. You know, we have a very good relationship. We're, we're, we're eight years together now, believe it or not. So our, our second date was, the, which we kind of treated as our anniversary, was the Mayo, Mayo Dublin semi-final okay. um, back in 2015, I think it was, when I was Minister of Health. Um, so, um, so it'll be eight years now in a few weeks' time, and uh, three years now living together. So a very good relationship. And How's the living together going? 
Um, actually, it's, 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 well, it's, it's gone fine. Um, well, one thing that's kind of funny is, is that to a certain extent, um, we actually did better during the pandemic because we were seeing each other a lot. And it was kind of strange. You'd think it'd be the other way around yeah. that, that you'd drive each other crazy. But um, we actually got to see each other a lot during the pandemic because I'd be at home most evenings, at home most weekends. It's now the total reverse. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not home most evenings and barely home at all uh, most weekends. And uh, um, we don't get enough time together, but that's that's the price you have to pay, I think. Mm. Other political leaders, their relationship isn't scrutinised like yours. Why do you think that is? Well, first of all, it's different. You know, with, we're we're a gay couple. Um, we're, we're not married, um, uh, and I do I do think to a certain extent though as well. Uh, at least for a couple of years, we were you know we were quite public in our relationship, um, uh, but we have kind of pulled back from that a bit. You mentioned marriage there. Do you believe in marriage? Do you think you'll be married someday? Well, I, I definitely believe in marriage. I, I think it's a, a very, very important institution and important that we continue to uh, protect it. And, uh, you know, in many ways, the fact that we have marriage equality in Ireland, to me, enhanced the value and status of marriage. Um, not something that we plan to do at the moment, definitely not something ruled out. Um, I, I do think if if we were to have a family, that would be different because I think that's a different level of commitment. Again, uh, you know, when you when you have a family and mm-hmm. um, there there are children involved. Um, and you're quite close to your nieces and nephews, aren't you? So, do you think you'd have a family of your um, own someday? Okay, I, w- I wish I was closer. Um, and I, I have two two in London and two here in Dublin, and uh, would like to see see them a bit, bit more. But um, at the moment, like just the two of us are so busy, I don't see how we'd. Be able to to raise a family and do it to the best of our ability. Um, I have to say, like I'm I'm in awe of colleagues who are able yeah. to do their job and do it well and still raise kids. You know, whether it's you know Helen McEntee, Simon Coveney, Simon Harris. You know, all have fairly young families, um, great fathers and mothers, and I don't know how they do it, but they seem to be able to do it. But I don't I don't uh, don't plan to try at the moment. Have you noticed a shift in people's attitudes towards the LGBTQ plus community? You do as well experience from what people would consider casual homophobia and racism. Um, yeah, then, then that's true. Um, I, I try not to let it distract me. And I also don't like to complain about it too much mm. because, you know, I'm also conscious that I'm somebody who've had, who's had a lot of privileges in life and a lot of opportunities in life. And I don't want to en- engage in, in, in self-pity because... Um, I don't feel sorry for myself, so so, so why, why should I? Um, but um, but it's just it's just the reality, uh, you know. Um, we 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 live in societies that are marred by centuries of racism and homophobia and misogyny. So that that that, that kind of um, that kind of slips through sometimes. I, I do think there's been some. Uh, uh, I feel there's been a move backwards in the last year or two. Like I remember the day of the marriage equality referendum. Yeah. You know, a huge yes vote. Um, every county bar one voting yes, which people didn't expect, you know, that, that kind of rural-urban divide that people anticipated didn't, didn't arise, mm-hmm. um, unlike in other countries. Uh, and I remember that day in, in Dublin Castle in the Square, thinking that things could only ever get better. And I definitely do think in the last year or two, there's been a kind of a snapback and an increase, homophobia has become a little bit more acceptable, acceptable again. Yeah. I'm not sure why. Um, I think the debate around trans issues might be part of that. It's become a gateway for some people to uh, be homophobic again. Um, 
but it was you know but i suppose it was always naive to think that the path forward would never be a bumpy one and there would never be setbacks and i do think there have been some, been some setbacks in the last last year or two certainly an increase in in violence against against gay people as well mm -hmm. you mentioned privileges there and you know a lot of people would think that you've had a privileged life in terms of your education your upbringing your your career but would it be fair to say that you have gone through life without any hardships? Um, certainly not, not any financial hardships. Uh, you know, so my parents, dad being a doctor, had a good income. and mm -hmm. were able to make sure that we were well provided for. Um, you know, we're able to help us get through college, although I did, I did work in college as well, but, you know, um, didn't necessarily have to. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, in, in, that, in that sense, um, definitely not financial hardships but yeah in terms of overcoming challenges in your personal life did you ever have to deal with any significant trauma um i'm, I'm sure i'm sure i have but it's difficult to <laughs> but I, well, I, I'm, I'm kind of lucky that i haven't had any you know uh well yeah, i suppose I suppose like there are people that i know have been have died by suicide um okay. not family members or very close friends but people who would have known well and wouldn't have seen it coming. Okay. That obviously had a major impact on you. Yeah, it, it does, but I, I, I think I think you know, almost everyone in Ireland has probably experienced that sadly. Mm-hmm. But something that sticks with you and you do often wonder, you know, is there something you should have noticed, something you should have done, something you should have said? Mm -hmm. Did you say the wrong thing? Mm -hmm. It like is weeks previously, you know. It is a huge silent issue in Ireland. Mm. A lot of young people as well. Do you worry about that? I, I, I do. Um, now you know we we have I'm kind of probably getting overly political now. Like we have have invested a lot in, in the whole issue of suicide prevention and the National Office for Suicide Prevention and you know the extent to which statistics are accurate. We, we we've seen the number of suicides fall rather than increase in recent years. Um, but that means nothing to, to anyone who's been affected by it, yeah. whether it's a family or a friend. Can you take me back to a time in your life? when you were at your happiest that you would love to relive what happened and how did it make you feel yeah god i'm not sure <laughs> that's 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 kind of a very good question um definitely college years were happy years mm -hmm. uh, even though i was a very serious young person uh, with profound views on things and all that but um definitely really really enjoyed that and enjoyed the kind of freedom of um you know being an adult for the first time really mm -hmm. uh, and uh would love at some stage to go back to college and Maybe maybe learn again or teach again. Like you learn a lot on the job as a politician. You have to. Uh, you really do. You mm -hmm. become you know an expert in so many different areas, or at least develop expertise in so many different areas. Um, but um, I've never actually engaged in any kind of structured learning um, okay. in a very long time. What would you and, like uh, to study then, if you were to ever yeah. go back? I don't know. Maybe history. Maybe economics. Okay. Definitely not politics. That that's a practical profession for me. Um, even though I'm interested in political science. If you didn't get involved in politics, where do you think you'd be today? I'm not sure. Um, you know, you know, I, I certainly would have probably stuck with medicine. I, I did finish my GP training scheme, so perhaps be working as a GP. Um, I think if I hadn't got involved in politics, I'd probably be a very frustrated person. Uh, you know, part of the reason why I got involved in politics was that. Uh, I didn't like the way my community was being planned, you okay. know, so much housing at the time and not enough schools, not enough sports facilities, 
ran for the council to try and change that. And we, you know, we have made big improvements in, in that regard. Um, or, you know, I would be very frustrated with the way the health service was operating. Um, and while there's still plenty of problems in the health service now, the fact that I've been involved in politics, um, I've been able to make some changes for the better, but I also have a better understanding as to why things are, why they are, mm -hmm. and why sometimes things can't be changed or, or, or can be very hard to change. Um, but I think if I hadn't had the experience of actually trying to fix things, mm. um, I'd be much more frustrated. You know, people often say, you know, they should do something about this. Um, when you become the they, mm. at least you've an understanding, you know, you, you kind of, you either succeeded or died trying. Yeah. What motivates you other than what you witnessed in your community that you weren't satisfied with, that you wanted to get into politics? What motivates you to get up in the morning and do this job? I think hope, you know, I'm somebody who believes in hope. Um, I do believe that the arc of history bends towards progress. Um, you know, you turn the news, you would think that the world was falling apart. You see war, you see climate change, all those things that are very real. But actually, if you look back to what the world was like 50 years ago or 100 years ago, for the vast majority of people in the world, it's a much better place. So I do think that um, the arc of history bends, bends towards progress um, and that even if things are bad, they, can, they, they will get better. And if there are problems, they can almost always be fixed. So I'm kind of driven by hope and I'm an optimistic person by nature, even though, even, even though, even though I probably don't speak like that, I, I tend to engage in gallows humour and so on. But mm. ultimately, I, 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 do, I do. As Taoiseach, what are the highs and lows that comes with that job? Um, I, I think I think definitely definitely def the highs have been, um, you know, being able to get get things done. Uh, like definitely the referendums, you know, which uh, changed our constitution, our society for the better. Uh, being part of that, I think, was was definitely very important to me. Um, leading the country through difficult times, yeah. like Brexit, for example, getting those agreements. Um, with, with the British government, which are hard, hard fought, were, were very important, uh, you know, protecting us from hard border north and south. Things I think that we'll probably look back on as being more significant in 20 or 30 years time than we do now. Um, in, in, in terms of, in terms of terms, you know, in, in terms of terms of lows, obviously the, the, the 2020 election was a big setback. You know, we went into that election um, only six to eight weeks previously ahead in the polls. Mm. Uh, and in the end had a very poor election result um, and you know that wasn't wasn't really what what we'd expected uh, certainly didn't think we would lose as many seats as we did and, and it's not just about the politics of it it's you know it's colleagues who lost their seats who didn't deserve to uh, senators and councillors who could have been TDs and you do feel you, know, you feel the responsibility yeah have you struggled living a normal social life while being Taoiseach Ah yeah, sure. Of course, like it's you know you once once you I don't think it's particular to being teacher, but I think once you're a public figure uh, and you're recognised by everyone, um, it's a very different way of living. You you are the kind of fish in the fishbowl. Um, so you know, that's one of the things. Why it is it's kind of nice to get abroad sometimes. You know, just to have nobody looking at you or gawking at you or, you know, whispering about you, thinking you can't hear them. You know. Yeah. So so that that's one thing that is sort of sort of like an escape point when you get abroad, just to be able to take a taxi or go to the shops without anyone looking in your basket, you know, yeah. this, this, this type of thing or smart comments or even people just coming up to, to say, thanks for doing a great job. And that happens a lot. Um, you know, uh, most people are nice. Um, 
you wouldn't think that from online but in yeah. the real world most people are actually are actually polite and nice um but it's nice to be able to escape that from time to time a lot of people that experience you know attention at the magnitude that you do and some other politicians they can become very paranoid do you think you've become paranoid no no definitely not like um i, I always i always say this you know this there's things that things that make make a politician you know good and, and that's you know things like empathy like experience positivity work ethic um the things that make politicians bad are, are bitterness jealousy and paranoia and anytime any of those things enter into my head i, I try to try to try to crack for them how important is faith or religion to you do you have religious beliefs um i, I i'm not a religious person I, I was brought up as a catholic you know did my communion my confirmation um i've never never formally left the church uh would still occasionally go to mass although not regular mass goer um i think as i mentioned earlier for, for me hope optimism the fact that things will always get better and can always get better that's that that's an important article of faith for me um but i'm not you know i, I don't necessarily believe in the strict dogmas of the church you know whether it's transubstantiation or things like that but there are a lot of christian values and they're not exclusively christian values that i think are that i think are really important even in the modern world you know things like mercy things like forgiveness charity good works um even the belief that uh, things like anger and jealousy and laziness and excess and gluttony these are these are bad things that should not be encouraged and i think sometimes they are encouraged in in the 21st century would you be a spiritual person I mean, you know, some people may not be religious, but if they're going through a difficult time, a lot of people would just automatically turn to prayer or pray to something. What do you do? Yeah, no, I, 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 I don't turn to prayer. Uh, I don't pray, um, you know, unless it's uh, at a mass, but I don't pray at home or, or on my own. Um, I do have people who come up to me quite a lot who say that I'm in their prayers and that they pray for me. And I, I really appreciate that. Now, very often they would be priests or nuns or religious, pe religious people. Um, but that's something I really, really do appreciate, even though I don't pray myself. Um, I just think maybe that positive energy or positive regard is, is, is something that I really appreciate. Um, and uh, one thing I kind of like about the, the Church of Ireland as well is that, is that as part of their regular service, um, they tend to pray for the government and ask that God give ministers wisdom. And even though if I don't necessarily believe in, in, in the doctrine or, or, the, or the dogma I, I do really appreciate that that kind of mm. positive good vibes goodwill mm. what's one thing that you would change about Ireland and why yeah I, I, I was kind of th kind of th thinking about that um, um, I, I, I think like Ireland is a great country and you know somebody who could have been born in England where my parents met or India where my dad is from or America where they planned to travel to. Um, I'm really glad I, I was born in Ireland and grew up in Ireland and it's a country that I care about and love very deeply. Um, and I think it's a country that has achieved a lot in the last hundred years, you know, a hundred years of unbroken democracy, um, one of the longest life expectancies now in the world, um, really high levels of educational attainment. Um, jobs for anyone who wants one uh, and you know we were a country that was marred by emigration for a very long time um, and, I, and I do think sometimes and this isn't everyone I do think there are a cohort of people in Ireland uh, who believe that Ireland is some sort of failed state and I've seen that grow over the past mm. 10 or 20 years and I don't think that's based in fact I don't deny for a second 
that the country has problems. Of course it does. All countries do and always will. And we try and fix them. Um, and I don't mean that, don't mean in a self-serving way, by the way. I don't mean that they should like the government. That's a different thing. Um, but I do notice that, you know, people in America, for example, who maybe hate Joe Biden and want to get rid of him, they're proud of America and they think America is a great country. Uh, even in France, you know, people who might despise President Macron and uh, they, they want to um, vote for the far left or the far right or whatever and not vote at all, they will generally be proud of France, you know. Mm. Um, and I think in Ireland, um, most people are very proud of Ireland, but there's a cohort of people who seem to have become convinced that Ireland is some sort of failed state when that's not true. And it's fatalistic. Uh, and uh, I, I kind of I wish that were different. You'd like to change people's mindset on that? Well, see, well I don't think it's universal for a start. Mm -hmm. You know, there are huge numbers of people who love Ireland, think it's a great country, um, and uh, I want to do that, want to do better. Um, and that's where I am. And I think the most, most people are in that space. But we do have a, a very large number of people, and I think more so than other countries, um, that believe that Ireland is a failed state, that it's one of the worst countries in the world, that we don't do anything right. Mm -hmm. And that's actually not based in fact uh, or in any, any objectivity. Um, and it also doesn't help because it's fatalistic. It's, you know, it's almost giving up. And I think that's a pity. What is a piece of advice that you would give to someone or a motto that you live by that might get you through the day? Um, you only live once and, uh, and um, opportunities arise when they do, not when it suits. So seize them if they come. Thank you very much for joining the Cure Feeling podcast today, Tisha. Cleo Radker. Oh, thank you. Join me back here next week for another episode of the Cure Feeling podcast.